beep or whistle or like easily when we are meditating. Good evening and welcome to the Waysex Festival, which um, comes with the full moon of Taurus, which will be just after midnight tonight, 12.03 a.m. So we're working five hours in advance, um, well within the flood tide of spiritual energy for what the writings of Alice Bailey call the high point of the spiritual year. Wesak is the great Eastern festival, as Alice Bailey puts it. It's a festival when the forces of enlightenment are most active, pouring into the world. These are the forces that carry the potent energy of love wisdom, of which Buddha and the Christ are the supreme embodiments, we could say. The opening talk that we always uh, begin our meditation meetings with isn't meant to be an esoteric lecture. It's meant to provide a, a moment for unifying our minds as a group. We've all come from very busy, active days, I'm sure. And now, together in this room, we can, for a while, set aside our personal cares and interests and try as best we can to think together as one one mind, in a sense, of the opportunity available at this time and the channel in consciousness, which is what our group meditation will offer. The keynote of our meditation tonight expresses the kind of service that's possible in a, the creation of a channel through which light and wisdom and love can flow. Our keynote is, let the group stand with the new group of world servers as a great army of implacable spiritual will in a time of decision. To stand in silent subjective unity with all who seek to safeguard humanity in this transitional age is the goal and the privilege of our work together tonight and throughout our conference weekend, which, as many of you know, will be tomorrow and Sunday, our annual conference sponsored by the Arcane School. And you are all welcome to come. Tomorrow afternoon session begins at 1.45 and on Sunday at 1.30. An alignment is made at WESAC which enables the contribution of each individual to find its proper place within the context of the larger group. And the group we work with extends way beyond those of us in this room together. It encompasses our fellow meditators who are working unseen but throughout the world. And beyond the meditators who share our particular type of meditation, it includes all spiritual aspirants and seekers. And that naturally encompasses many races, many cultures, many religions and traditions. The very nature of alignment means that it has meaning and significance on a variety of levels. We won't all necessarily be at the same place in consciousness, but we will be working within a unified field and contributing to it and drawing from it. For the esotericist, the alignment 
that we work in at WASAC extends beyond our fellow servers to include representatives of, I, of a gigantic planetary alignment that spans such a vast spectrum of consciousness that we can scarcely imagine it, much less participate in it, because it includes the most exalted beings on our planet, and it stretches down to the most humble spiritual aspirant. For Buddhists, Waisak is a religious festival and a ceremony of deep spiritual significance. And for everyone who participates, Waisak is a, the high point of the spiritual year. So let us take a moment to imagine ourselves as one with this subjective worldwide group, visualizing the lines of light and love that link all seekers in a shared quest. Regardless of religious or cultural differences, the essence of this quest is summed up in an ancient prayer from the Upanishads of India. I think you all have one on your chairs. So let us take a moment to silently envision our interrelationship with the worldwide group of seekers at this moment of Waisak then say together out loud this ancient mantra, followed by the sacred word, the Om, one time. Lead us, O Lord, from darkness to light, from the unreal to the real, from death to immortality. O Waisak isn't a commemoration, as so many religious festivals are, of something that happened in the distant past, but a present living event. And indeed, there is a remote valley in the Himalayas where the Buddhist pilgrims gather each year at the Taurus full moon. But as is the case with all ceremonial rites that have become deeply embedded in human consciousness, there are inner dimensions to the ceremonies that have significance to only a few. Over the millennia, a legend has grown up around the outer ceremony, which Alice Bailey described in her booklet on Waisak, and you're welcome to take a copy. We have many of them on the table. It's a legend, as she calls it, the legend of Waisak. 
Regardless of whether one can be present for that ceremony in the Himalayas, everyone is urged to take part with a full play of the imagination. The creative imagination, as we know, is the lower counterpart of the intuition. And we use it in order to grasp somewhat the nature of the inner esoteric dimensions of this festival so that we can gain a deeper understanding of the divine purpose behind Waisak and the Buddha's return to our planet each year. So to prepare for our meditation work, let's use our imagination to visualize the esoteric significance of the alignment that even now, as we meet in this room, is being formed in that valley in the Himalayas as the moment of the full moon approaches. Alice Bailey describes it in her account, and I'll read a few of her statements about it as we try to use our imagination to picture what is happening there. She said, At the time of the full moon of Taurus, pilgrims from the surrounding districts begin to gather. The holy men and lamas find their way into the valley and fill the southern and middle parts, leaving the northeastern end relatively free. There, so the legend runs, there gathers a group of those great beings who are the custodians on earth of God's plan for our planet and for humanity. By what name we call these beings does not greatly matter. With their wisdom, love, and knowledge, they stand as a protective wall around humanity and seek to lead us on step by step as they themselves were led in their time, from darkness to light, from the unreal to the real, and from death to immortality. This group of knowers of divinity are the main participants in the Waisak Festival, she says. And then she goes on to describe the actual ceremony, as legend has it, which is held in the Waisak Valley. She says, the participants range themselves in the northeastern end of the valley and in concentric circles according to the status and grade of their initiatory development. They prepare themselves for a great act of service. In front of the rock, looking towards the northeast, stand those beings who are called by their disciples the three great lords. These are the Christ who stands in the center, the Manu, who stands on his right, and the Lord of Civilization, who stands on his left. These three face the rock upon which there rests a great crystal bowl full of water. Behind the grouped masters, adepts, initiates, and senior workers under God's plan are to be found the world disciples and aspirants in their various grades and groups who constitute the new group of world servers. They present in their physical, those present in their physical bodies have found their way there by ordinary means. Others, she says, are present in their spiritual bodies and in the dream state. As the hour of the full moon approaches, a stillness settles down around the, upon the crowd and all look towards the northeast of the valley. Certain ritualistic movements take place in which 
The grouped masters and their disciples of all ranks take up symbolic positions and form on the floor of the valley such significant symbols as the five-pointed star with the Christ at the highest point, or a triangle with the Christ at the apex, or a cross, and other well-known formations, all of which have deep and potent meaning. This is all done to the sound of certain chanted words and esoteric phrases called mantrams. The expectancy in the waiting, onlooking crowd becomes very great, and the tension is real and increasing. Through the entire body of people, there seems to be felt a stimulation or a potent vibration which has the effect of awakening the souls of those present, fusing and blending the group into one united whole and lifting all into a great act of spiritual demand, readiness, and expectancy. It's the climax of the world's aspiration focused in this waiting group. These three words, demand, readiness, and expectancy, best describe the atmosphere surrounding those present in this secret valley. So runs Alice Bailey's account of the Waysack legend. Each year, the Buddha returns at Waysack to strengthen the relationship of humanity to Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known. And twice in recent years, in 1975 and again in the year 2000, the Shambhala force has been released directly into humanity, according to the writings of Alice Bailey. This is the pure energy of the spiritual will to good, which fosters synthesis. And we can clearly see this energy working out in the world towards the, in the drive towards globalization and unification. As this spiritual energy makes impact on public, on public consciousness, and its effects aren't always of the highest quality because energy makes impact according to the state or quality of the consciousness receiving it. And that is inevitable because we have human free will. The keys to enable us to respond to this powerful energy of Shambhala more correctly are found in the Buddha's message, in his life, and in his teaching. The Buddha's achievement when he attained his enlightenment so long ago took the form of an insight into the cause of suffering and its remedy, an insight so groundbreaking that the writings of Alice Bailey say that through the Buddha, light was let into the world which eventually would make possible the dissipation of the fog of glamour that so clouds human perception of reality. After his breakthrough under the Bodhi tree, the Buddha shared the core precepts of his realization with a small group of disciples, and these are known as the Four Noble Truths. And they are, cease to identify yourself with material things and desires. Gain a proper sense of values. Cease regarding possessions and earthly existence as of major importance and follow the noble eightfold path, the path of right relations. 
the steps on this path are right views, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. If these insights sound simple, and the greatest truths are simple, they aren't necessarily easy to put into practice. Because here we are, some 2,500 years after the Buddha's enlightenment, still trying to grasp the essence of his message, a message that seems more relevant now than ever. Has there ever been a time when it's been more apparent that we need to gain a sense of true values and that we need to stop identifying ourselves with material things? Has there ever been a time when the failure to cultivate right livelihood has resulted in more harm with more universal consequences than now? Some may be asking, where did we go wrong? But the Buddha's teaching is quite clear on the cause and cure of human suffering. Self-affirmation is the cause of all sorrow, he said. Cease to identify yourselves with material possessions and stop clinging to worldly desires. For the rest of his life, the Buddha traveled throughout northern India, spreading his message to all who would listen until his death at about the age of 80. In his last sermon, which he preached to his beloved disciple Ananda, he summed up his message by saying, Be ye lamps unto yourselves, rely on yourselves, and do not rely upon external help. Hold fast to the truth as a lamp. Seek salvation alone in the truth. Look not for assistance to anyone besides yourselves. What was the source of the Buddha's confidence in the capacity of the human being to rescue himself? The writings of Alice Bailey offer some interesting insights on this. Esoterically, great avatars such as the Buddha and the Christ embody some cosmic principle which they anchor on earth, thus making it available to all humanity who follow after them. The Buddha, whose title means the Illumined One, released light into the world. Esoterically, we know that light is substance, and the Buddha demonstrated the consummation of substance matter as the medium of light. This light is present, in other words, in the very substance of our planet. And that's why the Buddha said we should be lamps unto ourselves and trust this inner light which is within us for we are part of the substance of the planet, to illumine our path. It illumines the path of spiritual evolution and it illumines the world, revealing the spiritual significance of everything in the world. For we're told when the disciple has found that lighted center in himself, he then becomes aware of the light within all forms and atoms. When the disciple has found that light at center within himself, he then becomes aware of the light within all forms and atoms. And that is the affirmation of the keynote of Taurus, which is, I see, and when the eye is opened, 
all is light. The eye that that keynote refers to is the single eye, the Ajna center, which is called the third eye. Alice Bailey said the third eye reveals the light to be found in the heart of every form of divine manifestation. With the right eye, one sees the light within all manifestation. What a beautiful thought. She said the third eye is the eye of vision. By its means, the spiritual man sees behind the forms of all aspects of divine expression. He sees behind and through them, and he becomes aware of the light of the world and contacts the soul within all forms, opening up the world of radiance. All this was summed up quite simply by the Buddha, who put things very simply. When he was asked who he was, said, I am one who woke up. I woke up. And so can you, was the implication. We can wake up when we can see behind the outer forms and appearances to the inner reality. What is it that keeps us from seeing this? The powerful, overwhelming sense of the separated self the illusion that we are, each one of us, independent, autonomous, isolated beings living in a world of some six or seven billion other similarly independent, autonomous, isolated, separated beings. This illusion serves as a powerful sense of glamour because it makes the individual desire and crave more of everything for the separated self to shore up the ramparts of this individuated self. More money, more recognition, more attention, more happiness, more sensual pleasure, more, more, more of everything. And through, and although this, this insatiable craving can be indulged, it can never be satisfied. So that it gradually dawns on the aspirant that more of everything that he is seeking is not filling the empty void within. Every bone thrown its way just heightens the desire for more. How does one find liberation from this apparently endless cycle of desire? The remedy comes with the Buddha's return each year at Vaisak when he brings the blessing of Shambhala. For Shambhala is the center where the will of God is known, and the will is fundamentally an expression of the law of sacrifice. So often the will is misused for selfish advancement, as if the two-year-old child were the model for how to use the will. But the true spiritual will is the capacity to sacrifice. And the root of sacrifice, as we know, is to make sacred that's the key to release from suffering. Just as the Buddha said self-affirmation is the cause of all sorrow, so the ending of sorrow comes to refusal to identify with the demands of the separated self. The sacrifice that we are asked to make is to release the grip of the illusion that we are each of us independent, separated islands and begin to see ourselves 
not only as one humanity, but as one whole. We start down this path to union with the whole when we begin to share. And that is enacted at the close of the legendary ceremony that Alice Bailey described, which takes place in the Himalayan Valley. Her account tells us, when the Buddha has again disappeared, the crowd rise to their feet. The water in the bowl is distributed in tiny portions to the masters, initiates, and disciples, and they then go their way to their place of service. The crowd, who have all brought their little cups and vessels of water, drink of them and share with others. In this beautiful water ceremony of communion, we have presented for us in symbol an indication of the new age, which is today upon us, the Aquarian age, the age of the water carrier, Alice Bailey said. And the symbol of the Aquarian age will be that of the man bearing a pitcher of water, as Christ foretold at the first, first uh, communion service, which he initiated so long ago. Surely, one major lesson of the present world crisis is that we need to learn to share. And we can do so when we follow the Buddha's teaching to cease identifying ourselves with material things and with our desires and cravings. He said, wherever there are the conditions of individuality, there are the conditions of sorrow. Decay is inherent in all composite things. Could there be any better description of the futility of material craving? Decay is inherent in all composite things. So let us now take part in the sharing of spiritual nourishment with the needy world. Through the gigantic meditation that is now underway, Throughout the world at Waisak, spiritual light and love and power can pour into the world through the group channel of meditators. We will work with our keynote, let the group stand with the new group of world servers as a great army of implacable spiritual will in a time of decision. And before we begin our meditation, perhaps for those who are or might be new to our meditation work, let's look at it for a moment. We begin with a declaration of our group fusion, working from the point of unification always, unity of consciousness. We affirm our fusion not only as a group here, but with our fellow meditators throughout the world, and more broadly, with the new group of world servers, all servers, who are seeking to mediate between the spiritual hierarchy and humanity. Then, in the stage of alignment, using our powers of visualization, we project in imagination a line of lighted energy towards the spiritual hierarchy and towards the Christ at the heart of hierarchy and extending that line of light toward Shambhala, the center where the will of God is known, and from whence the Buddha comes at the moment of Vesak. Then in the higher interlude, we endeavor to 
hold the contemplative mind open, simply open and available for the extraplanetary energy streaming into Shambhala and radiated through hierarchy. Using our imagination, we try to see the three centers, Shambhala, where the will of God is known, hierarchy, which is the center through which the love of God is focused, and humanity, the center of active intelligence, as a triangle, and a triangle that is coming into full interplay. Then in the stage of meditation, we focus our minds on our seed thought, developing our understanding of it as best we can in light of our present understanding of its significance. Then in the stage of precipitation, we again use our creative imagination to visualize light and love and the will to good pouring throughout the planet, touching every level of consciousness, every aspect of our planetary life, every kingdom, bathing it in love. And in the lower interlude, again sounding the affirmation of love aloud, we then turn our minds toward the practical application of the energies we have received in the higher interlude and towards a a vision of the manifestation of the keynote as we have understood it, as it should work out in the world to prepare the pathway for the Christ. And by the Christ, we mean the master of all masters and the teacher alike of angels and of men, not only the master Jesus, but the world teacher who comes for everyone. And finally, in the stage of distribution, we release through our group channel, the energies of the group meditation, working with the five planetary inlets, London, Darjeeling, New York, Geneva, Tokyo, as points of release through which the energies of light, love, and power can pour into and throughout the world, and sounding the great invocation quietly and in unison, followed by the OM. So I will simply mention each stage so that we can work in unison. Letting in the light. We affirm our group fusion. I am one with my group brothers, and all that I have is there. May the love which is in my soul pour forth to them. May the strength which is in me lift and aid them. May the thoughts which my soul creates reach and encourage them.
alignment. The higher
meditation on the seat thought. Let the group stand with the new group of world servers as a great army of implacable spiritual will in a time of decision.
precipitation. I don't know where he interviewed We centered the consciousness. We found the affirmation. In the center of all love, I stand. From that center, I, the soul, will outward move. From that center, I, the one who serves, will work. May the love of the divine self be shed abroad in my heart, through my group, and throughout the world.
distribution. Working with the five planetary inlets, London, Archibald, New York, Geneva, Tokyo, we found a great invocation. From the point of light within the mind of God, let light stream forth into the minds of men. Let light descend on earth. From the point of love within the heart of God, let love stream forth into the hearts of men. May Christ return to earth. From the center where the will of God is known, let purpose guide the little wills of men, the purpose which the Master knows and serves. From the center which we call the race of men, let the plan of love and light work out, and may it seal the door where evil dwells. Let light and love and power restore the plan on earth.
Thank you, everyone. If we can hold the quiet tension for a few more, four more hours, and we're awake. The moment of full moon comes at 12.03 tonight. See you then. And thank you so much. And see you tomorrow, I hope. Good night. Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Lasercat t-shirts? Check. Get your back to school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back to school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z.